Hello, my babies, and welcome once again to Poker in the Ears. I'm Uncle Daddy. I'm Joe Stapleton. My work wife, James Hardigan, he's over there. And by over there, I mean a couple of blocks away. I know, it's ridiculous. We are, what, three, four, five miles away at most? Uh, happy Leap Day, Joe, because we are recording this on the 29th of February, a date that only comes once every four years. And I don't want to alarm you, but apparently, traditionally, this is the day where women can propose to men. Oh, shit. I'm going to stay locked <laughs> in my office all day today. You know, did you notice when I put out the uh, original running order for this that I had March 1st on it because I forgot that there was a 29th day this month? I had to go back and change it. Everyone forgets about Leap Day. Coming up on today's show, would you believe I thought maybe this was going to be a boring show? Well, I know what you mean, because you just think it's going to be a routine episode off the back of a live event, yeah, right? Yeah, and you never know who's going to win a live event, but who knew Correct. we were going to hit the jackpot in both things we were planning on covering, which was someone from EPT Paris and to talk about the Global Poker Awards. Turns out we've got lots to talk about in both categories. Yes, the Global Poker Awards recap is on today's show. Yes, the EPT Paris recap is on today's show with EPT Paris winner Barney Boatman. And I also Yay. have a special combined Sandy the Degenerate slash what would you do situation to run past yous. And of course, this week's Superfan versus Stapes is back and it's Peter Hartman, who has chosen the subject of We Are Marshall. And when we talk about We Are Marshall, I've got a classic Stapes Hollywood name drop, R.E. That Film. Looking forward to it. Uh, look, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this week's episode, Joe, let's talk about what's happening in a couple of weeks' time. We've got episode 300 live at the Hippodrome. And I have touched base with Alan. Alan. And it looks like... It is a sellout. By the time you download this podcast, there is a very good chance that it's closed for registration in the UK client. And if your name is not down, you're not getting in. I do think we are now at capacity. It looks like we're going to have around 200 guests in Lola's at the Hippodrome on Wednesday, March the 13th, this special live show. One thing I do need to communicate, and I did put this in our Discord Important information regarding the tournament. Now, we've said all along that, again, there is a hard cap on this tournament. It's going to be a hyper-turbo because it's going to be played at the end of the evening. In order to play, and this is because all of the prizes need to be credited to PokerStars accounts. They're going to be silver passes. They're going to be Sunday Million Anniversary tickets. You do need to be a PokerStars player in order to take part. So when you arrive at the Hippodrome, you're going to be asked if you want to register for the tournament. You will be asked for your PokerStars ID. Chances are, if you're coming to the live show, you have a PokerStars ID because that's how you registered your interest in the first place. Right. If you have a guest who wants to play, if you're bringing a plus one who wants to play, they also need to be a PokerStars player. Just something you need to be aware of. But I do think it's worth it considering we've got a decent number of prizes, multiple silver passes, okay. which will get you to the Irish Open right. main event um, to give away in this tournament. So I think it's worth it to ensure that we can actually reward people with a decent prize pool rather than just a few T-shirts. Okay, there we go. Great. Good, uh, good, good asterisk there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
One thing on my to-do list, and I know this is something, I guess, a little bit of homework that you gave the audience as well, Joe. I still need to re-watch Win It All. I know that we discussed this movie back in 2017. I can't remember most of the movies that I watched six years ago. So I do want to re-watch that because we are speaking to someone who is connected to that movie. He'll be joining us live via Hollywood. Um, I'm going to watch it on my flight home. I have been watching Slow Horses on Apple TV+, Plus, which I am loving but I also made the mistake of watching this new Tyler Perry movie called Mia Culpa on Netflix. I knew it was going to be bad, but it is so fucking terrible. Now, James, I got to ask you something. Now, I've heard you talk about this movie. Uh, we spoke about it a little bit in Paris. This movie has not shown up in my algorithm at all. So I'm wondering, um, I know that this, this is a maybe not a hardigan-facing sort of thing, did this show up in your algorithm or someone else's? Because this movie, as it far as I'm concerned, been. doesn't exist. It has been showing up in my algorithm. But when you watch <laughs> stuff like Selling Sunset and Selling the okay, OC, right. yes, I guess right. maybe it thinks you might. But not being funny also, I love a trashy erotic thriller. Give me a basic instinct or a jagged edge. And there's a certain, like, you know, they're bad movies, but they're very watchable. This is a bad movie that is completely unwatchable. And I also, I do have a theory. I think parts of the script were written by AI, and yeah. it shows. The dialogue is risible. The plot is nonsensical. Towards the end of the movie, I think it may have just been plugged into a computer which cut the last 20 minutes. The last 20 minutes is an absolute mess. So there was a long writer strike and a long actor strike, and some of the stuff that's going to come out in the next window of time maybe a little suspiciously timed. So you might be right that some people, uh, a.k.a. like a Tyler Perry type who is a content machine and doesn't really seem like the type to have been like totally without work during those eight to 12 months or whatever it was, uh, maybe there are some things that kind of got slipped under the radar during that time because no one was writing them, quote unquote. So that story could check out. I genuinely wish there was a poker scene in this movie so we could get a podcast <laughs> out of it. But I, I am going to throw it out there, though, as a potential superfan subject. One of those oh God, where no, I will don't do this choose the prize pool just because I love torturing Joe and I love giving away stuff. Uh, um, the only thing I've been watching is The Mindy Project, which is a sitcom I missed like a de- basically a decade ago at this point. Um, I, I actually really think it's quite funny. It, it's by Mindy Kaling, who was on The Office, and you can, tons of Office writers are on it, directors, and the cast is really, really funny. Look, we do have a lot to talk about, and I appreciate we have unfinished business from last week, Joe, because as has become customary now, you gave everyone a what-would-you-do situation based on your travels. Uh, you were forced to land in Chicago. You were put in temporary accommodation for the night. You were given a cab and given a voucher to give that cab driver. Well, when he got you to the hotel, he refused to accept that voucher. Suddenly, the cab fare increased by 40%. He suddenly <laughs> yeah. added something to the meter. So you asked the question, what would you do? So let's pick a few responses from Poker in the Ears listeners posted on our Discord. We do have dedicated channels on the PokerStars Discord server. Link in the podcast description. Let's start with Bounty Bob. I would probably ask a few questions regarding why the voucher isn't valid and why these newly added charges weren't set on the meter before the trip stated. I think he means started. But ultimately, just suck it up, go to sleep grumpy. Definitely wouldn't tip, though, because the fare should have been set before we left. 
This is an important note, which we will cycle back to later. Sampai, at silly o'clock in the morning, shattered, and on a work trip, I just wouldn't have the energy to argue. Pay it, claim it, and hope the next flight isn't interrupted. That's a good disclaimer. If it's not your money, why do you care? But Juan Batar raises the point, Joe, if it's your money, out of your pocket, just get out the taxi and run as fast as you can. <laughs> Excuse me. Still got the Paris uh, Paris thing in my chesticles. Uh, that's, you know what? I do, I, I more or less did that. You know, I, you, what do you do? You go, hey, what is this? Why is this no good? And then the guy points to three things and says something. You go, all right. And you shrug your shoulders and you go, I'm probably not going to have to pay this anyway. Poker Stars is probably going to pick up the tab for this. So, fine. Um, well, here is here is a prediction from depleted ZPM. Yeah, I know Stapes definitely paid up, but my question, because I'm sure that's the case, is again. I said well, I'd come back to Bounty Bob. I wouldn't tip because the fare should have been set before we left. Joe, please tell me you didn't put a tip on top of this grossly overinflated fare that your voucher wasn't valid for. Okay. Um, I did, but, but. But I tipped what I would have tipped on the original amount, not on the full amount, which I know does not make a difference to anyone who would not have left a tip at all. But on the off chance, on the off chance that this that it, it that this guy really did have to drive 50 miles out of his zone and it was a legitimate fee for how far the ride was or for an airport pickup or whatever, whatever. I don't want to stiff a working person. I would rather... First of all, and I would have done it the same if it was my money or not, right? I'm not like typically more flippant with other people's money than I am with my own, uh, for better or for worse, uh, because I am way more broke than a person should be. Um, so I did like I still left him like twelve bucks or something, which is what I would have tipped on fifty instead of the seventy three he ended up charging me. So I know I'm a pussy. I know I'm a pushover. <laughs> I know that I shouldn't do this stuff, but. My life is good, and yeah, I'm a fucking sucker, but whatever. Like, you know, so this cab driver is going to get 12 extra bucks he probably shouldn't have. And you tease, there's another what would you do coming up, right? Yes, this is a what would you do, Sandy the Degenerate. It's not so much a what would you do, but I am curious how other people would handle the situation. But yes, that is having to do with EPT Paris, which was amazing. Amazing. Let's talk about it. It's my Yep, EPT Paris 2024 is in the books. Lots of positives, a few negatives, which, Joe, you already alluded to, but we'll come to that in a moment. Let's mostly, predominantly, focus on the positive. This event had Barcelona numbers. It had Barcelona vibes as far as personalities and fun at the table was concerned. And it had a little San Remo sprinkled in and that nobody thought it was possible really until it happened there was a certain point where we all stopped talking about it we didn't want to <laughs> jinx it or be too disappointed if it didn't happen but before we get to that let's roll back because other stuff happened besides the end of this freaking tournament 
Yeah, we started with the France Poker Series main event, the FPS main event. And this event, this tournament highlighted how much bigger Paris was going to be this year. Clearly, we talked already about a much better venue, a much bigger venue, a much better player experience and a record-breaking field. I think the number was 4,149, near enough double what we saw in Paris last year. I knew it was 4,149 because when I went to go do the trophy presentation at the end of the main event, the number from the FPS was still on my note card and I almost read the wrong number instead. So uh, luckily <laughs> I didn't Ron Burgundy it for once, but yes, that is the number. I As I was reading, I was like, this isn't right for the main event. This can't be right for anything, but it was 4,000 entries. Like that's crazy. That's crazy. Now, yeah. I know that it is a re-entry event, so it's not the same as a freeze-out necessarily, but we're talking World Series of Poker Las Vegas numbers at this point. Yeah, and it's always weird when you have a field that big that it's someone who we know who cuts through the field and wins it because Matthias Mulhusen, I think we said a few times on the stream, is an EPT reg. We've seen him make deep runs just short of the final table. We have seen this guy on feature tables before. He is a name that is known to us, and this was like his breakthrough win uh, at one of our events. Yeah, and not just a name that is known to us, but, I mean, as you're watching him play, you're sitting there going, man, this is a dude that live streams are made for. Uh, he's charming. He's smart. Yes. He's funny. He's friendly. I mean, if by the way, if you're listening, I'm going to Amsterdam next month, and you seem like a cool dude, and maybe some places that you can, uh, Mateus, if you're listening, <laughs> just uh, I could use some recommendations for places where cool people hang out because I'm old and not cool if I ever was. Anyway, this this fella, you're just like, oh man, what a what a great, uh, for lack of a better word, yeah, because he's an agreed to be an ambassador, but ambassador for the game. You're like, oh, this is the sort of person that makes poker look cool and fun. What a, what an awesome winner to have, and then obviously. Um, he kind of gets overshadowed by the end of this event. But in this moment, you're just like, hell yeah, it's super happy for this fella. For sure. I know there was a bit of disappointment that we weren't streaming the 50K Super High Roller the following day. Uh, we did advertise in advance that we were going to be dark. We were going to have an off day on the Tuesday. And that was to comply with French working time regulations. The production team are limited on the number of working hours they can do in a week. And that meant there was a hard stop on most broadcast days and it meant we had to take one day off in the middle so sorry there was no super high roller coverage but you know those laws exist for a reason which is not to overwork people so fortunately everyone was in great health the entirety of this event because they weren't working over hours they weren't more on that in a moment <laughs> but joe for the first time um, we had a down day, although they made you work we did have a breakfast meeting but then you went off to do a shoot with the fellas Yes, and I didn't. I finally actually saw the video. Um, David Curtis sent it to me yesterday afternoon. I don't know if he sent it to you also. Probably not because I don't think you had anything to do with it. But um, I didn't realize, first of all, how big a deal the fellas are. Now, when we say the fellas, we're talking about uh, we're talking about Rory and we're no, no, no. Just to be clear, the fellas is a much broader group oh, of people. Okay. So Elliot Hackney. It Elliot Hackney runs the Fellas Partnership, which is a, a, an umbrella organization which has a host of podcasts and content oh, creators. Oh, okay. See, that's what I mean. It's even bigger than I thought. 
Absolutely. And one of those podcasts and some of those fellas are the guys who do the club. That is Rory, Adam, and Boovy. Those were the fellas that you were working with that day. Got it. So before I get to that, I have to talk about the night before, which is the Poker Stars okay. player party. And um, and for once, we were, we're always invited to the player party, but we were done in plenty of time to go to the player party. And, um, and we had kind of more of a, a fanfare than usual for us being there, which we'll get into at a later date. And so I was involved in some of the content being shot there. And I stayed to the bitter end of the party and I was in the VIP area pretty much for the first time ever. And then we went to a Caldu. So took us to a club afterward, like a legit, un like underground Parisian nightclub. And I ended up staying out till I'm not proud to say like 630 in the morning. Then we had our breakfast meeting. Then we had this soccer shoot. Now, the good news is that everyone was in the same state I was in. Um, Lawrence, Rory, Adam, Spraggy, Finton, everyone had been out to at least four in the morning. This was clearly a scheduling error to try and do this shoot at 10 a.m. the day after the party. Yes. And there was also a slight error in that. And I don't want to throw anyone under the bus particularly, so I'll just say... This was a shoot where we were supposed to like go play football, aka soccer, in Paris, and we just showed up to a football field under the Eiffel Tower and just figured on a Saturday morning in one of the biggest soccer-playing countries in the world that we were just going to have a field. No one booked a field. <laughs> we just rocked up, and it was full of children and adults all sharing in like a very like picturesque, idyllic European Saturday morning, and where they were the camera crew, and they're like, "Fuck off." <laughs> it was a it was a Tuesday morning to be clear, oh, which sorry, means it was me, a school me. day, which means that's why kids were probably using it. It felt like a Saturday to me because I had the day off. Sorry, yes. So we get back in a van. We had ridden like maybe 20, 25 minutes to, to this field. We ride 20, 25 minutes to another field, uh, which somehow does have some room on it. Somebody comes out and tells us we can't film there. And I think it was Rory who just went and was like really, really kind and really polite and just said, and the guy was like, you know what? I'm just going to walk away for 10 minutes. And if you're done by the time I'm back, um, this doesn't have to get escalated any further. So that was really cool. And the funniest thing was we're there and we've been in a car for like close to an hour at this point. Spraggy tasks me, he goes, looks up there. We're in the shadow of the Hyatt at this point. We're walking distance <laughs> from the hotel for the second shoot. Now, the shoot itself, I didn't know what to expect. We couldn't play a full game of football at this point. So like, let's, let's, on the fly, they make up like a penalty kick type of game. And I got to tell you, not only did I not know how big the club is, those three fellas, um, they are really good presenters, really yes. good on camera, professionals, one take, uh, not to toot our own horn, but it reminded me of being on something with me and you where we have guests come in and we're like, don't worry, we'll handle this. Bop, 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 bop. You go here, da, da, da. And I did get to do some PKs with them. I was hungover. I was in an ill-fitting shirt. I was trying to do gags that didn't work. Uh, but... The soccer went well. They went easy on me in the video. You, I, I end up scoring a goal, but if you look closely, you can tell they're not really uh, trying to embarrass me. So I just appreciated it all around. It was really, really just sort of a professional level shoot, and I grew to appreciate those guys a lot more. So I'm really looking forward to working with them on the podcast. And now I know, don't, don't fuck with them. 
don't don't try to make them look stupid uh, when they went to great lengths to make me look good on camera too. So uh, just a lot of professional courtesy all the way around. And I enjoyed having both Rory and Adam in as guests on the live stream. I appreciate it was only for 15 minutes each. Um, hopefully that's going to feature in some of the vlogs that they produced from the event. But they're both nice guys. I like spending time yes. with their company. And I cannot fault their enthusiasm, their legitimate, genuine passion for this game, for poker, uh, which is almost adorable. Yes. Um, so what happened the night before, Joe? You said you have, there was a, 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 a Sandy Degenerate situation yeah, from so, the night of the party. So on this shoot, to protect their identity, and just so you know, there's, there are multiple people besides the one I mentioned. There are people from Poker Stars and people on the crew and all this stuff. So Sandy's on this shoot with us. Okay. If you guys remember Sandy the Degenerate. Oh, it's from the shoot, not from the party. Well, uh, it, it relates. So... Sandy's okay. on this shoot with us. You know, again, this is Sandy the degenerate fuck. And Sandy uh, is complaining that uh, Sandy lost a hundred euro note at some point uh, between the, the night before and the morning and they're patting their pockets and they can't figure out where Sick they're... brag that Sandy has 100 euros. Well, notes. Sandy only had a hundred euros, which is why it was a big deal to Sandy because there was one note in Sandy's pocket and then Sandy had no notes the next morning. I find out later from Sandy that when Sandy gets back from the soccer shoot, Sandy goes to enter their hotel room, and in the hotel room is housekeeping. And housekeeping says, Sandy, thank you so much for the tip. Oh, my goodness. It's the biggest tip I've ever received in my life. You left it right on the pillow for me, which is traditionally where tips are left for housekeeping. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you're just the most generous person in the world. Stop. This is where Sandy the Degenerate becomes what would you do? Okay. What would you do in this case if you are Sandy the Degenerate and you have accidentally left a 100-euro tip for housekeeping who is being honest about the fact that they found 100 euros in your room but maybe also is a little aware that if they frame it this way, their hundred year, what might not have been a hundred euro tip, is now a hundred euro tip. What would you do? There is a mindset here that the money was already lost, so <laughs> yeah. it can just remain lost, as it were. But you're right. Well, let's open it up to the audience. Podcast discussion is one of our dedicated channels on the Pokestars Discord survey. survey uh, and, and by the way, the reason it's a Sandy story is because Sandy admittedly got back to their room shit faced got into bed with their clothes on and the note fell out of their pocket during the night and left oh, in I mean, the bed. That's, that is very, very important information because, again, there's a certain amount of deserves it about this story. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, let us know what you would do in that situation. Um, let's get into the main event, Joe. And at this point, let's stop burying the lead. The EPT Paris Lurgy was a thing. <laughs> One <And> unfortunately... <laughs> I am just about recovering. I think Joe is at peak illness right now. Oh, God. Um, Sorry, that wasn't just for effect. It was a little for effect. No, so I, real. I, I, I know it's real. I know it's real, dude. And it really hit most people on the first day of our main event coverage, which was the Wednesday. And I'm not going to lie. It's a really, really hard job to do, to be speaking continuously for multiple hours, for multiple days, when you're under the weather. And in my case... I had such a horrific sore throat. My throat was inflamed. 
Um, it was killing me. I was double dosing uh, paracetamol and ibuprofen. I was gargling with salt water. I was drinking hot water with honey and lemon. I was doing all the things you're meant to do. But all that was really doing was meaning I could get through the days. Yeah. I, I wasn't really getting any better. And it's only now that I'm starting to feel a little bit better, but I've still got that scratchiness. It still hurts to talk. Yeah, I definitely thought it was bad while I was there. It got worse on my travel day. The problem is, as you know, James, that uh, everyone out there knows that I've had a couple of adjustments in my, in my throat over the years, and I think yeah. that makes me a little bit more sensitive to a post-nasal drip, uh, which c- makes me cough. Uh, so it, it was just I felt terrible for the people around me on the planes there. I could see them all looking, leaning away from me. I was covering my mouth with an entire hoodie. Um, but, you know, that sort of like involuntary coughing that you get when you you know sort of have a chest or a sinus infection is it's it's really tough to beat it. And I wasn't sleeping. That was the problem is that I would wake up every few minutes coughing. And it's very difficult to get better from this sort of stuff when you aren't sleeping. And I think I'm finally finally today's the first day I'm feeling better. We're talking like eight or nine days later. So. And the reality is, if you're bringing together thousands of people from all over the world into a single place where there's an air conditioning system, this is the kind of shit that's going to happen, which is why people like Ike Haxton, who take sensible precautions, should be saluted and not derided. I might, anyway. I actually might become a mask guy if, if this happens. Like, we're talking, we're talking um, every other event, right? Because I got sick in Barcelona also. So Barcelona's sick, Prague okay. Paris sick. Like, I, if this is going to be my life... You know, we, you know, we're, we've got a lot of events planned. I might have to go be one of these people that wears masks, even though I look, I don't do it just because I think it looks uncool. Uh, but I do think it is a smarter decision to be making. I don't disagree. So during the early stages of the EPT Paris main event, when we're changing feature table regularly, when it's on day two, when we're approaching the bubble, or as we've just played through the bubble and players are scoring min caches, we very much focused on our guys, the team pros. Uh, We had Tonka on the feature table. We had Spraggy on the main stage. Then one of the focuses became Peter Jorgner last year's runner-up. And I think it's fair to say, Joe, that under normal circumstances, this would have been the story from EPT Paris. The guy who came second in 2023 made it back to the final table in 2024. We're talking about more than 1,600 entries in 2023, close to 1,750 in 2024. And this guy cuts through the field not once but twice. Yeah, I mean, and also he was such a memorable character the first time around, right? His story was interesting. He was new to poker, obviously. The fact that he's like, looks like a superhero character out of a comic book makes him a little bit more memorable. He was incredibly kind and generous to everyone on crew and, and with his time and doing interviews. He came on the podcast. So you're already like, he's already on your radar. He's already like an interesting person that you're rooting for. And then you see like, oh, Peter Jorgen is here. Oh, Peter Jorgen is still here. Peter Jorgner's still here. He won't make back to me. He, and everyone like falls short of making the final table again. And then he does. But by the time that's happening, Barney's there. Barney's Correct. there. And you're like, oh, but wait, fucking Barney Boatman could win this thing. And then there are two players who also come into focus. There is Barney Boatman, and there is also Eric Afriat. Here is a guy who has won three WPT titles when he first 
became chip leader, we commented on his dapper appearance. There was a certain elegance to him. Elegance and chatter. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And for the most part, that chatter was very, very entertaining. But when Eric came to the feature table, you all know what happened. It was the tail end of day four. There was the big bluff from Eric, the huge hero court from Barney Boatman, which put Eric on tilt. Now, I understand, Joe, because word has reached me from members of the production team that Eric was not happy about specifically my commentary over that moment. He is not happy with what I said in the moment. I personally feel that we were very fair to Eric. And apparently the thing that he's not happy about is that I called out what I consider to be poor etiquette, poor behavior after that big call from Barney Boatman when Eric started deriding the dealer It did border on dealer abuse. It probably fell short of that, but it was unnecessary what he was saying to the dealer. And the unethical move he made, which was to spread out all of his time bank cards and announce to the table, he even said, I know this isn't the right thing to do. I know this is poor etiquette, but I am going to run out the clock and to then encourage other players including Hans Erlinson, who was sat to his direct left, to do the same thing, to play their time bank cards, to run out the clock so that he could get a dealer change the next day. So there is a a certain type of person, James, who, when they do something that, for lack of a better word, we'll call wrong, right? Whether it's illegal or just sort of bends the rules or when they do something wrong, to them, the bigger crime is the reporting of the crime. Um, it is it is you're the one who's breached in ethics for bringing to attention their bad behavior. And so, you know, th- there were definitely some things about Eric that you could tell that let's talk about the dealer, the comment to the dealer, for example. It, it is a not a nice thing to say to the dealer, but you say it with like a smile, right? You say like, oh, you always kill me. Wink. And it's a joke. There was no smile. There right. Was no and smile. It, and it was, it, and so people try to have this sort of, they, they want to do villain behavior, but not be known as the villain. And I don't think you really get to have it both ways. And look, I don't think that it's not a comment on your, like, on, on who you are as a person necessarily. You did something kind of we didn't agree with at the poker table and it can live there, right? It doesn't have to be a personal attack and just be like, oh, I don't agree with the way you handle this. The other thing that we sort of uh, that I've come around on that I was wrong about apparently uh, and that maybe we should get clarification in the future is what time bank cards are for is a time bank card for a player to use in any way they see fit no, while they not. have time bank cards right exactly and so no, it's not. that's something that I misunderstood I misunderstood that uh, probably uh, I forget it was maybe Barcelona when uh, they, when I think it was Toby or maybe someone else came to the table and said, actually, these aren't for you to use any way you see fit. They're for you if you have a decision to make. And if you don't Correct. have a decision to make, you're not entitled to even, uh, even the full 30 seconds on your clock, from what I understand, if you don't have a decision to make. And so given that that is the rule, uh, using those time bank cards specifically to run out the clock on the end of the night is uh, is – it is not correct. One thing that I found interesting about this situation too is that you ever stubbed your toe in the middle of the night and at first you're like, oh, that didn't hurt that bad. And then as time goes on, it just starts hitting you. That's what happened to Eric in this moment is that he didn't seem that upset 
when it first At happened. First. But the more he sat there and the more I think the re- the reality of what hit him, he got angrier and angrier. And for for I'll just say, I'll give him a little bit here. I'll give him a little bit and that I understand why he might want to not make any more decisions in that moment. But I also think you can just fold your hand. You can just fold your hand. You don't have to wait six minutes or whatever it was. Uh, and, Walk and away from the else. table. Walk yeah, it off. Exactly. Uh, so let the blinds come through you once. There's going to be what one orbit still to be played tonight. It's like just just step away. But clearly, and we saw this a few times as the tournament played on. He was liable to go on tilt. It's a thing. It happens to everyone. Um, and he displayed that. And sometimes I was not a big fan of how he behaved in the moment and some of the things that he said. But for the most part, I did find him an entertaining character and I'm glad he made it to the oh, final yeah. table. It was awesome. It was a, a big part of what made the stream so entertaining. Absolutely. But from that moment, when Barney took the chip lead because of that huge hero call at the end of day four, he then made it through to day five, made it through day five, still as one of the big stacks. Coming into that final table, you're not wrong, Joe, when you set this up at the start. We didn't almost want to, didn't want to talk about it too much. The idea that we could see someone who was on the EPT at the very beginning, someone who is a genuine UK poker legend, someone who's been there, seen it, done it, to actually become the oldest EPT champion ever at the age of 68 years old. And even when it got three-handed, I did not think it was possible. I did, and we'll ask Barney about this. I was concerned that he was a little bit outclassed by the other players yeah. who clearly, you know, have huge results and are very up to speed with modern game theory and shorthanded MTT play. But the stars aligned. And I, when I, it happened, oh my God. I think it is worth obviously mentioning to the, the other two players involved in this three-handed match. Um, Alex at Ponikovs turns out was a high stakes crusher uh, that's is, played yeah. on Triton and and lots of other things that we sort of kind of just flew under our radar um, until you know until things got really sh- not shorthanded but at least till the final day when people were like oh wait this dude is like not here by accident and and maybe in another year uh, without Jorgna and Barney being there uh, David Kaufman might have been the story. Uh, having won $1.5 million in a W Coop in 2013 and now is back on the live scene, having tried a couple of other jobs and deciding that poker is really what made him happy and really where his, his strengths came into play. So, and I would absolutely agree. Like, I think that, you know, Barney and he's the first, he was the first to admit it. I'm sure he'll say it again in a few minutes when we talk to him, you know, ran really, really good and was able to play a style that worked for him without necessarily having to manufacture a lot of chips. And I think in other situations that he, not in any other situation, in this particular situation, he's a dog to Kaufman and Ponikovs. And yes, you know, part of the reason we stopped talking about it is one, we don't want to jinx it. And two, like, I think that we're both sort of uh, very uh, aware of not having a, as big a bias uh, outward bias as we can uh, to a particular situation, even though, you know, th- there's certain parts of your emotion and your heart that are rooting for certain things. You kind of want to keep those those thoughts to yourself because it's not fair to the other players. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it happened. Barney lifted the trophy. 
he won that first prize of nearly 1.3 million euros. And obviously, Joe, you spoke to him immediately after the final hand. I don't think it had really hit him at that point, and he was clearly quite emotional. About an hour later, I got to record an extended interview with him, and the realization of what he'd accomplished and how much he'd won was beginning to sink in. But let's see how he's feeling a few days later, because it's time to welcome Barney Boatman back to the Poker in the Ears podcast. Hello again, Barney. Hello, great to be here. So that is the key question, Barney. Has it sunk in yet? Has reality hit? Mate, I mean, it's changed my life completely. I've uh, I've upgraded to Yorkshire Gold. Um, <laughs> I used to just be eccentric. Now I'm an eccentric millionaire. I'm leaning right into it and I'm feeling great. Yeah. Is this the first time in your career that you have become a millionaire or have you gone in and out of that status over the years? I decline to disclose. Uh, You you see the way I go with my chips bag. So it's just steady accumulation over 25 years. What do you think? (laughs) I've got a hundred million now. It, It didn't surprise me, Barney, that your win was so well-received by the poker community on both sides of the Atlantic, all around the world. You must have received so many messages in the last, what is it, 72 hours, four days. Yeah, I mean, it's a really nice indication of how many people I owe money to. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's no, it, it's lovely. It really is, I mean, to the point where it's embarrassing, but, I, you know, but it's, it's, it's really nice. And it's kind of gone... It's gone mainstream. It's gone into the tabloids as well, which is weird. Yeah. They're, they're, they're all doing this kind of old man does a thing kind of angle on it. And uh, a friend of mine who lives in um, in Austria sent me a, a, a copy of a, of a, a headline in the Bild, you know, their tabloid paper in Germany, which said oldest poker champion ever, <laughs> which showed... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't mind so much, but they used a 20-year-old photo with that. And obviously... <laughs> The editor was fine with that. Oh, yeah, that looks like the oldest man ever. Yeah, that was <laughs> um, so, They're like, boy, he looks terrible. I mean, and you're like, I w- I, that was 20 years ago. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, I mean, th- th- and that's the thing that, you know, obviously with friends and people who know me, it's it's about other stuff. But the, the thing that seems to make it such a big story is, you know, how amazing that an, an old fella can do that. I mean, for me, I mean, I'm amazed when, when young people are so great, which they are, you know, and they... They seem to be born knowing everything. And, you know, in fact, I mean, seriously, my, my favorite, you know, the biggest poker tournament moment for me, um, up there with the moneymaker moment, and in some ways even more impressive, is it was an Obrestad winning the World Series yeah. in yes. Europe um, main event when she was 18 or something. Yeah? And, Correct. And, um, and, you know, an 18-year-old woman with every, you know, I mean, hardly women were hardly playing then, you know. And with all the things she had to, to handle. And that was extraordinary. Um, in my case, you know, I mean, I've just, <laughs> I keep showing up, you know, sooner or later. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to get, I've got to, you know, it's just yeah. a lot of averages, isn't it? I, I get the headline, the oldest EPT champion, but I do think there's another reason why the news has gone mainstream in the UK. If we go back 20 years when poker had a much bigger fan base, right? The height of the poker boom, when it was on TV every single night, when it was the big trend of the moment, you were one of the biggest names in the game. So there's going to be a lot of people who haven't followed poker for many, many years and go, oh my God, I remember Barney Boatman. He's still playing. He's won more than a million. That's a story. 
it's true. It's like if Eric Bristow showed up and won the darts or something. Wouldn't it? I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess or whatever. I mean, there's probably even better ones than that. But but like, yeah, no, it's it's it is. I mean, I can see that. I mean, and obviously, they they want you know you've got to have a backstory these days, haven't you? It's it's like strictly or anything, you know. You haven't you don't stand a chance if you haven't got a backstory. And um, you know, I guess I've got a few of those. Um, and listen, you know, it, it's it's lovely the, the response. Um, you know, it feels real. You know, it feels you know getting a lot of love from all over the place. And it, you know, I do have a lot of friends that I've made over the years playing, and and other friends too that, that still you know. And um, and so it you know it really really makes it even more special, a lot more special. Uh, what about non-friends coming out of the woodwork to congratulate you slash hit you up for money? Has, has there been any of that thus far? Hitting up for money, not yet. Um, but, but I mean, you know, there's the, the people that, you know, I was barely aware that they knew who I was. who have been very kindly saying very cool. nice things about me. And that's lovely, you know. Uh, uh, Vanessa Silks tweeted something very nice about me and, you know, She's like someone I really look up to as a poker player when Hell she yeah. played, you know, and and, and um, um, so uh, and as a person, you know. So it was so it was really nice, things like that. Uh, you know, it's all a bonus. And and uh, I was listening back to some of the commentary, and Maria Ho was saying really nice things about me. And I tell you what, actually, I mean, I think if I could just play and televise poker events and have Maria Ho talk through my hands and what I'm doing. Uh, it, it would be like having a, the best coach in the world. I, I found out all sorts of things about why I was doing what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? No, Isn't great. it turns out where, yeah, yeah. where you had a reason, you just didn't know it? Yeah, no, I, 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 of course, I, I kind of know. I mean, mind you, I mean, I was just looking at a bit. I, I was watching a bit of um, day five just now. On day five, um, I hadn't slept at all the night before uh, on the back of several not very good nights sleep. And I was really, I went there, chip leader, and I, you know, I just said to myself, you've got to stay in your box a little bit uh, because, you know, don't give yourself too many hard decisions because you're absolutely knackered. Um, I don't know if that's what I ended up doing because it doesn't sound like me. But, uh, but you know, I, I was, you know, it, it was a, a struggle at times. And I could see looking at it, I could see, on my, I could even keep my head up, you know. So um, <laughs> how, how I got through that day, I, I think I had, I didn't have any, too many really tough decisions in big pots. Well, speaking of tough decisions, it seems like outwardly you said a few times, you kind of make it seem like you don't mind embarrassing yourself on a live stream, that you're going to do the thing that you think that you should do. And if it's right, great. And if not, Hey, it's another wrong decision in another tournament. Uh, do you, how much do you consider what it's going to look like while you're playing uh, versus uh, not really caring is, is it, is, do you, do you uh, not care as much as you seem to? Neither of the above. Uh, I, I don't play according to what it looks like, but I do care what it looks like. Got it. I mean, uh, you know, um, obviously, you know, uh, we're all human. We, we, we'd like, we don't want people to think we're stupid and whatever, but, but, you know, when I, when I'm making, decisions and particularly in big pots i'm you know i'm making i i mean i'll tell you what there was there was a hand um but in uh the last really major final that I was in like million dollar first prize plus tech final which was a year before last the world series of, uh, of europe 
main event. Uh, and I got in the hand with Sean Deep. And like up until that point, I just hadn't had cards and I'd been re-raising with nothing and, this, and chipping up the way that I tend to do. And now I got aces and uh, I raised and he called um, out of, on the button, he called, uh, and it came Queen Jack 4 or something like that. There may have been, may have been two of the suit. And um, I led out small and he raised. Uh, and I, I started the hand with the 50 big blind stack. And 99 times out of 100, in this hand, I call. I just take a flop. You know, that, that's, you know I under-rep my hand. I wait to see what happens. But, like, I watched him. I, he, he kind of outplayed me in a way, but what he did, I mean, because I, I, I watched him and I was convinced he wasn't that strong from watching him. Uh, and when he, when he raised me back, um, I just, I thought, I don't know what he's got. You know, he could have a one-pair hand. He could he, he could be looking for a uh, straight. He's in position. You know, almost anything that comes that isn't uh, even if an ace comes, it could make him a straight. You know, uh, I I think I'm ahead. I'm just, you know this is you know there's enough chips in there. You know, I'm just going to end this now. And I moved all in, and he and he snapped me off with Queen Jack, the top two. Uh, and I've been playing that hand over in my head for for a year and a half. You know, thinking that's not that's never how you play that hand. Why did you do it? You know, why you know it's not so much what do other people think, it's what do I think of myself for doing sure. it. And, and and it's only really with having won this that I, you know, I can kind of relax about that one because you don't get that many chances in those kind of tournaments. So you know, I do, you know, I care massively, but more from the point of view of not having done it right. Were yeah. there any situations in this tournament where you deviated from what your brain was telling you to do, or did you completely listen to yourself and play your game this time around? Uh, I I can't think of an occasion where where I was conflicted in that kind of way. I mean, um, obviously the big hand that was you know. Uh, the, the major one again, uh, against that guy Eric uh, on the end of day four, where I, where he tried to bluff me, and I finished off calling calling him down with top pair. Um, that gave me something to think about, mm -hmm. you know? uh, and yeah. and um, you know, it, I I was kind of I was well over fifty percent sure that I was right, but obviously it's still a huge decision. Um, Not an easy call. Uh, it wasn't an easy call. Um, probably couldn't have made it against quite a few other players. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was definitely, it was never not a call. You know, I, I knew I was making the call and, but I stopped for a few, you know, for 10, 15 seconds, just to think what are the implications of being wrong here? You know, and that, that the implications were clear. I was out. And then I thought, what are the implications of passing? You know, uh, you're going to go down to like an average stack. You know, you, in all probability, you'll grind out a fifth place or whatever. If you if you call on your right, you know, you could really win this tournament. You know, uh, so it was a kind of like an anti-ICM voice in my ear, uh, I suppose. But like in the end, it was just about. I mean, I kind of felt that the fact that it was such a big. He went on about how could you call when it's. The tournament life when it's at the end, nearly the end of the day. 
But that's kind of one of the reasons I felt he he could put the pressure on so much. Of course, that was exactly the, you know why he could make this bet because he just felt he obviously believed that I couldn't call. So that, that you know the situation, the, the, the what was at stake, actually helped me call when I thought about it. No, for sure. Um, I've just realised, Barney, that I alluded to the fact that both Joe and I spoke to you immediately after the tournament, but there's a couple of things that I forgot to ask about, and you just brought one of them up, and that is thinking time. You had a nice collection of time bank cards at the end of the tournament, as well as all of the chips. Can you remember how many time bank cards you actually played? I'm guessing you can count them on the fingers of one hand. I can. um, uh, The the first one was in that hand that we just talked about. the second one uh, was in the hand where where I had blocked a three sevens and turned the house, and when I checked called and and it was it was like it was a moody time bank. You know, I was making it look like it was a, a difficult decision to call, uh, and I think I may have used one more in the same way. I don't think I I, I think I only used the one you know kosher. <laughs> um, but, but actually, it's, it's not that. I mean, you know, partly I, I hung on to them, not because I I didn't care about having them, but but exactly because I felt that the, the more we got to the end, the more important. I, I, you know, a lot of people seem to spend them in quite trivial ways. You know, I, I was quite. I mean, people running down the clock or or or, or you know, looking over there to see if if there was going to be someone all in and thinking they might be moved off the blind. But even just decisions which didn't seem like that difficult decisions. Well, I mean, yeah. obviously, I get it. I get it. Sometimes you have to think back through all the action. You have to look through all the right. You know, this is one of the advantages I got. You know, I don't have that much to think about because I don't know what they're all thinking. No, I mean, I, I do, I'm kidding about that. But like, but like, you know, there there are times when you really need to think. But they're few and far between, really. You know, you, you know, most of the time. Uh, you've got all the information, and you know pretty fast what you're really going to do. Uh, let's let's go. Let's get back to, to talk for a second about Eric Afriat and uh, his reaction to that hand. His his sort of outward demeanor toward you from that point forward. Obviously, we know you handled it incredibly well and um, managed to sort of bat away what felt like really passive aggressive uh, criticism toward you with jokes. Um, were you as unbothered by it as it seemed, or were you just know that that was the right way to handle the way he was speaking to you? Mate, you know, when, when you win a seven and a half million pot of somebody, yeah. you know, it, 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 it's easy to be chilled about however they react. Right. I, I mean, you know, I mean, he's, he's a funny bloke. You know, he, he, he does this thing, I think, where he tries to kind of create these bogus bonds with people. And he thinks that, he thinks he's better at that stuff than he is, you know, and, he's, <laughs> and, and, and um, you know, uh, um, but it's obviously part of his game. And then, oh, you and me, you and me, and uh, I wouldn't bluff you and he wouldn't bluff me, whatever, you know. And it's like, oh, come on, you know. Uh, but but no, it didn't It didn't bother me at all. You know, uh, I, I think I said to somebody else, you know, I, I enjoy interacting with people. I, I don't shy away from barbed interaction. I think that, you know, if somebody wants to bandy words with me, good luck to them. You know, they're not going to get the better of it, you know, and, um, and that's fine. It's, you know, it doesn't, it, you know, no, it really seriously didn't bother me. I mean, except to the extent that I felt sometimes maybe, maybe I was on the brink of being a bit of a bully myself, which I didn't want to be. 
because you know because you know when when he was upset he was I wasn't I wasn't going to have a go at him when he was really upset because I understood you know he you sure. know, he'd made a big brave move it hadn't come off all of a sudden you know he was about to go to bed bagging up a big stack of chips and all of a sudden you know he was under pressure and and that's you know that is huge I mean you would think by his age that you know he could handle that better but but you know um, it, sometimes the same moment would hit the same person differently at a different time. I don't know what else is going on in his life. So I didn't want to push too hard, but he kept opening the comedy door for me, you know, and, you know, <laughs> and, and I had to step in over the threshold from time to time. Of course, me, I of understand course. when someone leaves you an opening like that, you can't just completely, I mean, it would be doing a disservice to the, to the comedy universe to leave some of those air balls yeah. hanging. Now we, Mentioned a few times, Barney, that obviously you've been on the EPT since season one. You played those early events. We showcased during the breaks uh, when you were at the feature table, making a deep run in EPT London back in 2006. Made that big bluff against Vicky that she called. Um, I know the head, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but one thing we forgot to mention, one thing that I want to highlight now is that you were also an EPT commentator. You worked with Colin Murray on some of those early yeah. TV shows. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I worked with with everybody actually. I worked with Steve Davis. I worked with Vicky. Uh, obviously, uh, Jesse May. Um, uh, uh, with Porrick. I've worked with a lot of people commentating. Yeah. Um, before people actually figured out, you know, all the clever technical stuff. You know, we we were there doing all the colour. You know, and uh, doing what you do, taking the piss out of people's hats or whatever. You know? <laughs> 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 but there's hope, Joe. There's hope that EPT commentators can go on to win EPTs. No, no, there's, there's no hope, no. Oh, oh wow. That, that, really isn't. that lasted for like one second. Okay, cool. <laughs> but, but Joe will always have that one second. Uh, while we're talking about poker on TV, Barney, a question from Chris Bean, who posted on our Discord. He says, with 2024 being the 25th anniversary of late night poker, how much of an impact did the show have on your game? And would poker become so big without it? Taking the second part first, yes, I think it would have done. Uh, it may have, it might, might have taken a bit longer, especially in this country. Um, how much of an impact it had on my game? Well, I mean, I was actually a seven-card stud player um, when when I was invited to play in that. I was like the European top-ranked seven-card stud player in tournaments, which meant a lot less than it sounds like. Um, but uh, but so I, but I was known on the circuit, and a lot of people who were known players were invited. And a lot of them said no, because they didn't want their game to be revealed. Sure. But, um, but for me, you know, I wasn't a no limit holding player anyway. So, you know, I, I didn't really have that much of a game to be revealed when I first started playing. I, I mean, I played it, but it wasn't my main game, but also I understood, you know, I, I, I kind of did my homework. You know, they were going to show like, you know, 15 hands or something in a program. It was going to be about the characters. It wasn't going to be, a, you know, and it was quite, you know, it, it was a one table with quite a short stack, you know, it, 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 you know, you weren't going to give up away too much about your game, but what you were going to do was have a chance to get in there in something which we in the Hendam are particularly new was going to happen, you know, with sponsorship and, you know, and the game getting bigger. And, and uh, so for me, yeah, if, if I hadn't done that, I, I don't know. I don't know where I would have been. Whether, you know, I don't know if I would have learned holding quite as early. 
I don't know if I would have got the sponsorship that I got that kept me in the game for a while, for quite a long time. So, yeah, it, it definitely changed my life for sure. The storyteller and romantic in me wants to pitch an idea to you, Barney. And the idea is that Ross and Joe Beavers start playing on the EPT again so all four members of the mob can be champions. <laughs> I think basically we need to bring everyone out of retirement with the EPT's 20th anniversary in Barcelona coming up. I think that's a lovely idea. Um, I have, I'll have a word with Ross. I, I mean, the, 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 uh, the thing with him is, is more time than anything. I mean, he's, he's dying to get back and play more. Um, He's, he's talking about coming out to the World Series this year, but he, you know, he has, he's put in his holiday request. He hasn't got it yet. Um, <laughs> so it's not, if, if you could arrange to run the Barcelona EPT over consecutive weekends, uh, <laughs> it, it might be a bit easier. But yeah, I mean, that, that's a lovely idea. And, um, and I, by the way, like I, I was serious when I said to you the other day, what about, uh, what about season two of Barney's home games? And what about doing it right this time? doing it as it was supposed to be, going all around the British Isles rather than just all inside the M25. <laughs> Buddy, uh, being reminded of that show, I know we talked about it last time you were on the show, um, which I, to be honest, I my memory is not very good. Um, it was six I, years ago, Joe. I, 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 at this point in time, I don't expect you to remember what happened six minutes ago, okay. let alone six, six okay, years. Okay, good. What, I would, what was six years ago? You were on this show on, once before, yeah. On this the show, though, I was going to say yes, that. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, being reminded that you did this show reminded me, which I probably talked about last time, is that I have always wanted to do a show like that. Um, and do you think that what 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 do you mean by do it right? Like, what would changes would you like to see if you were going to do it well, again? <clears throat> when uh, I remember that I met a guy from the Poker Channel, which was what it was on, and he said, "Oh, we're we're, we're looking for program ideas," and I just said, "Oh, I've got loads," and he's you know uh, and uh, he said, "Oh, tell us one." And I was like, uh, "It was a bit like I was a bit like Adam Pitt Partridge, you know, picturing you know monkeys wrestling in, uh, in monkey in tennis jam or something like that." Yeah, well, arm, wrestling say, yeah. With, arm wrestling with Chas yeah. and Dave. But but the first thing I came up with was all right. I, I said, well, "What about me going around the country, um, go, going around the UK and maybe Ireland as well, hopefully, and, and just meeting different people from different walks of life, you know, sitting down in their home games. Hopefully, they teach me some of the funny games they play." I find out about their lives, and it's a bit of a you know a thing about aren't we a, aren't we a diverse people? And like, you know, isn't it nice going around and meeting the Geordies and the you know the Scousers or whatever? And they said, yeah, that's a great idea. It's a great idea. And then we went to do it, and it was like we have got a little budget street constraint, so you know we're just going to do you know a few places in London basically, and, and uh, that was still nice. It was still good, you know, but it wasn't really the but but you know I reckon now. Yeah, maybe we can do it proper. Uh, I love that idea. I'm actually going to do something similar this summer where um, we're doing a stand-up comedy tour. And whenever I do stand-up places, people come out to see me and then they invite me to their home games. And I never go because it's like midnight and I don't know how I'm going to get home. But now we're going to have a camera crew with us. So oh, is that the idea for the show? They invite you and you never go? Because I don't, I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that. Not yes. So the, in the show, I go. <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah, okay, in the show you. version, yeah, yeah. I do that's go. A better, yeah, maybe that's better. better and they film yeah. it. So, yes. so yeah. we need yeah. to end this interview with oh. one of Joe Stapleton's trademark stupid games. Well, oh, Christ. Yeah, that's right. I don't remember what game we played last time. Now that I'm thinking about it, it might be the exact same game because I do tend to have the same idea years later. This game is called Know Your Boatmen. 
And I, you don't know this, but I can't believe we're doing back-to-back quizzes about boats. Last episode was too, but sorry, I don't make the rules. Barney, I'm going to ask you a series of questions about other famous boatmen. Not boatmans, but men of boats. All right. And they're all okay. multiple choice. Okay, so, so long as it is not me having to remember a name, because I can't remember names. I've got the bit of your brain where you remember. So if you tell me the name and, we're, and it's all about the information, then I've got a chance. There's a mix we'll of mishmash here. And by the way, right, it, right, as right. is always the case with my stupid games, some of these questions are worded incredibly poorly. All right, okay. here we go. Question number one. You must be well-versed in, in Charon at this point, right? Charon, the boatman. Oh, the, the, the boatman who, who rode souls across the river exactly. or something like that, yeah. So I'm going to let you off easy with this first question. What is the name of the song that matches up with the band that has the same name as the river across which Charon's passengers were taken? Right. Here we go. So, uh, the river, a Here, band you... with the same... So the um, river was... has the name of a band. Which of these is a song by that band? Here we go. Here are the choices. Okay. Come Sail Away. Don't Stop Believing. I can't fight this feeling anymore. Wet ass pussy. I have well, no I know idea it, what's it, going it, on. It's a hundred percent not the last one. Correct. That um, one's out. Great. Because uh, that's not even a, that, that's. A, um, that's not Don't so stop bad. believing his journey. There isn't a river journey, yeah, yeah, is there? There you go. Okay, there's two down. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, what were the What were the other two again? I can't fight this feeling anymore. And, and come sail away. I can't fight this feeling anymore. I can't fight this feeling anymore is by the band Boston. Sorry, is by Ario Speedwagon. Excuse me, Ario Speedwagon. That's right, and it's the River Speedwagon, wasn't it? That was the <laughs> one that made, um, Yeah. Come sail away is by the band Sticks. And it is the River Sticks that Caron. I could you have made that us. question any more complicated? Yes, I could. You know what? Quest- I lost the will to live halfway through that <laughs> question. I, I, you know, the only one I, I knew that Megan Free Stallion and who were singing me Bob was it definitely wasn't. But like the rest of them, I couldn't think. That's crazy. Um, I picked all songs it. from the '80s, which should have been Barney's heyday. The only one he could nail was the one by fucking uh, Megan The Stallion and. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, this is the thing. I, I, my memory is not that great, but I do remember stuff from like last year, year, year before or whatever. But yeah, okay, go again. Question number two. This one's not worded as badly. Here we go. Which boatman turned actor? told the real story of a real-life shipwreck he experienced in a film monologue. Is it Robert Shaw, Gene Hackman, Ernest Borgnine, or Ernest P. Worrell of Ernest Goes to Camp, Ernest Goes to Jail, and Slam Dunk Ernest? Names again, please. Names again. Robert Shaw, Gene Hackman, Ernest Borgnine, or Ernest P. Worrell? I want it to be Gene Hackman. I want it to be Gene Hackman. Wait, 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 wait. I think this is a classic example of a weirdly worded question. As you mentioned, Joe, sometimes the wording is quite awkward. You can explain the wording to Barty if you want. So basically, this is a monologue in a classic film 
where someone talks about a ship that was wrecked. Was it a ship in the Pacific Ocean by any chance? Correct, Were yes. there sharks involved? Yes. Okay. So we're looking for an actor from a famous shark movie. Robert Shaw, Gene Hackman, or Ernest Borgnine? We know the answer for is, is a joke. Okay, Robert Shaw then, isn't it? Got it! Boom! Thank Got you very it. much. Okay, all right. <laughs> Thanks for the help. No, I appreciate that. Boom. Question number three. The famous boatman, Captain Phillips, a.k.a. Richard Phillips, was taken hostage by Somali pilots and two pirates in 2009. Which of the that. following songs is by a band that has the same name as where Captain Phillips is from? Is it more than a feeling? Don't stop believing. I can't fight this feeling anymore. Or wet ass pussy. <laughs> so hold on. Don't stop believing his journey. Yes. I can't this feeling. I can't fight this feeling anymore. Is Ario Speedwagon? Yeah. Wet, wet ass pussy is Megan the Stallion. Yeah. So. Yeah, so it's it's the third one. What was what was the other one? More Say than again. a Say feeling. Is. Yes. Boston. Uh, yeah, Boston. We we already knew that. Yeah. I mean that's like. I didn't know he was from Boston, but obviously it's, it's, the answer is more than a feeling by Boston. There right? you go, more than a feeling by so, Boston, correct. A bit of cunning editing and you're going to make me look really smart. We don't oh, have there'll to be do no editing, don't worry. Yeah, no, oh. th and believe me, the only one who looks bad in these games is me. Question number <laughs> four. You're two this... and one, by the way, Barney. Do you have a winning score right now? Okay, just a minute. I'm going to get a piece of paper because I just realised that some of the things come up, the information comes up twice. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really know that before. I'm, I've got pen and paper ready there. Go on. This U.S. president boatman is said to have been one of the best poker players in the entire U.S. Navy. Was it? Yeah, that that uh, that was uh, Nixon. President Richard M. Nixon is correct. Three and one. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to hear the choices of President Dwight D. Eisenhower? I'll go on. Come in the choices anyway. Yeah, President Grover Cleveland or President Donald J. Bonespurs. Moving on. Question number five. <laughs> Which of the following is not a credit on Ross Boatman's IMDb page? Okay. Is it go on. Essex Boys colon Law of Survival Hooligans at War colon North versus South Cockney Underground, colon, Pennywise, Pound Foolish, or Paddington? <laughs> wow. Well, I know he did Paddington, so you can take that out for sure. Um, <laughs> and um, it, it's not, did you say? One of them I made up. The other two are yeah. on his IMDb page. Okay, let, let me hear the, three, the other three again, please. Essex Boys, colon, Law of Survival. Sounds Ho legit. Hooligans at War, colon, North versus South. Sounds almost legit. Cockney Underground, colon, Pennywise, Pound Foolish. That sounds ridiculous. That can't be yeah, real. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I agree. It's, it's, it's the Pennywise. Cut the underground one. That sounds like bullshit. <laughs> That's correct. That's the one I made up. <laughs> the well, I did not know. <laughs> it, I it, didn't it's, know it's, about the other two. But, I mean, I, I, that, that, I had to listen to them again because I did. You know, wow, he's that, done more shit than I knew. 
I was going to say, Cock Cockney Underground was only marginally more ridiculous than Hooligans at War North versus <laughs> yeah, South. Yeah, I know. But yeah, yeah, but the penny worth, how did, how did you, you put two things together that just didn't go? I that mean, wouldn't I'd... have got past the, you know, the pitch. <laughs> that, that was like, come on, have you ever tried to pitch a, a TV show or a movie? Maybe that's why I've never gotten one on the air. <laughs> yeah, okay. probably. Two questions left, two questions left. Question number six. Sir Francis Drake was the first English boatman to circumnavigate the globe. What was his nickname? Was it El Drake, the dragon, El Matador, the matador, El Compadre, the drinking buddy, or El McPherson? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was the dragon. The dragon is correct, absolutely. Yeah. All right, <laughs> final question. Which of the following songs is by an artist that has the same name as the first English boatman to circumnavigate the globe? Drake. Right, so we were looking for a Drake song. Yeah, okay. Is it Gangster's Paradise, Hotline Bling, F the Police, or My Name is Snoop Dogg? Do them again. Gangster's Paradise, Hotline Bling, F the police, or my name is Snoop Dogg. Hotline Bling. Hotline Bling is correct after a rocky start. Barney wow, Boatman. What's my score? What is my score? I want to Six know. out of seven. Six and one, Barney. Wow. See, once you once you right. get once you adapt to the questions, just like you adapted yeah. to those players at the final table, it I, was I, it was easy. Once you once you win a an eighteen thousand player tournament, then you know picking <laughs> picking a winner picking a winner out of three Mickey Mouse made up things in the, in the real one. You see, yeah. you've now eclipsed winning that EPT <laughs> on right. Sunday yeah. was your greatest achievement until now. It's a streaky Absolutely. game. <laughs> I'm, I'm on a roll. I'm on an absolute roll. I'm going to go and buy a lottery ticket right now. Barney, it was an absolute delight to watch you win that tournament. It's been an absolute delight speaking to you immediately afterwards and in the days that followed. And we look forward to seeing you again back at a final table on the European Poker Tour sometime soon. It's been a pleasure. And uh, from your mouth to God's ears. Cheers. So big things in poker have been a bit like London buses because the same day that Barney won EPT Paris, we learned the winners in this year's Global Poker Awards because the ceremony took place in Vegas on Saturday, the 24th of February. Um, just to be clear, we're not going to hit every single category. Uh, there are numerous news articles, and obviously you can go to the GPI site itself to see a list of all the winners. But the big headline coming into the final table of EPT Paris, we learned that we had won best live stream production. It was a surprise. I'm not going to lie. It was a fan vote, and I was so happy. So delighted that so many people voted for us because, again, I know that you and I cannot be objective about this, Joe, but I do believe that we put on the best live stream production. I, I agree with that. Uh, and I also think that um, you know me, James, and how I feel about these awards in that um, I think that there's lots of things that deserve recognition. And that ours deserves recognition. And even though I do think it's the live stream next year, if we don't win, I ain't going to be that mad about it. I'm going to be like, oh, that's great. That Triton got some recognition. That's great. 
that that the lodge got some recognition. It's not something that I think really benefits us as an industry for there to be dynasties. And I don't know if you've been following. I got in a few arguments this week over stuff like this. I'm going to skip all of that for now because I think we're going to get a little bit deeper into the weeds, maybe about this next time yeah. uh, when we have a little bit more time uh, to talk about it. But I will just say that there are some folks uh, who aren't handling it very well, uh, which is disappointing because we have never not handled our losses, quote unquote, uh, with anything other than congratulating the people who win the awards. So I, I, it's I, very I, simple, might have guys. More, I might have more to say about this next week. I know we don't usually get into muck, this sort of stuff, but I feel like some things have to be said. So. Watch this but, space. but you're right, Joe. You, you win with class, you lose with grace. And yes, it, it's sad to see some people not accepting that loss. I should highlight that Matt Berkey did a great job summarizing this on uh, their podcast where they talked about the Global Poker Awards. And he highlighted something which makes total sense. It should actually be a shock if we don't win a fan vote. There are 1.75 million subscribers to the PokerStars YouTube channel. And that is just the central English speaking channel. When you consider that we absolutely own that category. We are the biggest poker channel on YouTube by a mile. When you consider that we also localize that stream for French speakers, Spanish speakers, Brazilian Portuguese speakers, German speakers, Italian speakers, UK we have an speakers. audience of literally millions. So if we are able to galvanize those fans, if we are able to encourage them to vote, it would make sense that we would win a popular vote, which I agree with you. We deserve because of the production that our team puts together. Led, of course, by Francine Watson, who sadly did not win Best Industry Person. Congratulations to Adam Pliska for lifting that trophy. But Francine was there at the ceremony to collect the live stream award and shout out the team. Absolutely. And uh, I'm a big Adam Pliska fan. I like what he does at the World Poker Tour. He does tons of things I think help the entire industry. Uh, and so for him to win an award makes sense. I will endeavor in the future to say that Adam is also a very front-facing person, right? Adam is a very public figure. It does a lot of his own media, does a lot of appearances. Everyone knows who he is. And something I'm going to strive for in the future is that when we talk about best industry person, that maybe we can figure out a way to shine a light on some people that aren't that front facing. And I think a good way to do that is to take some of those people and put them in the front. So uh, Francine Watson, you're going to come on this podcast. Indeed for, she is. For starters. Now, on the subject of this podcast, it did not win best podcast. I, we didn't expect to. Uh, congratulations to David and Dara, because the chip race has now won twice. Um, should highlight, we're probably going to hear from those guys during our live coverage of this year's Irish Open. Going to be working with them, and they're going to be doing some commentary um, on the stream. But obviously, very happy for them to win this prize, even though there was a lot of conversation afterwards about the fact that thinking poker at some point probably does need to be acknowledged. But that takes nothing away from their win. Let's hit a few other categories. They agree with that, that we... too, by the way. And yes, yes absolutely. Yes. Uh, let's hit a few other categories where we have a vested interest. Toby Stone won Best Tournament Director, finally. And it 
obviously did not um, surprise me to see Toby, A, slightly embarrassed by this, and B, immediately, immediately wanting to pass all the credit onto his team, the dealers and tournament staff, who, in his words, make his job incredibly easy. No TD can do the job alone. They are the general that very much commands the troops, and he is very lucky to have a very good army under him. Yes, and but also he's the one hiring that army, so you know he True. can't he can't completely not take credit for the the great staff that he put together. So Marley Sprague won best X personality, and I'm guessing Joe, this is because of the short form content that she creates for that platform. But interestingly, it was Caitlin Komeski who won best short form content creator. I don't have a problem with this because to me, again, it's highlighting different people. It's sharing the love. I'm happy to see each of them win an award. Yeah, look, and I've been, like I said, in a lot of discussions this week about what's quote unquote wrong with the awards, how to fix the awards. And it's hard not to get involved in those things. I'm kind of with you though. Um, I don't think that the voters in general quite understand what the different categories mean or what the parameters are. And maybe the parameters aren't set very well. I don't know. I just know in this case, recognizing Marley is totally a worthwhile thing to do. And recognizing Caitlin is a totally worthwhile thing to do. And so just like you said, I don't really care how it shook out as long as worthy people are being recognized and we're getting some new blood into these awards and into these into these categories, which I think is also important. I don't think it is hugely beneficial to the industry for Marley to win Best X Personality 10 years in a row, but for her to be recognized every once in a while, I think is absolutely the right thing to do. Best Broadcaster, Ali Najad. Overdue. This is someone that I know you were personally campaigning for, Joe, and I know it's someone you were very happy to see win. Uh, great acceptance speech, by the way, from Ali Najad, which proves what a class act he is and proves why he is deserving of this award and should have been on the nominees list several times. Yeah, and I think one of the things that... Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And Ali is a tremendously talented broadcaster. I think maybe one of the things that sort of kept him off the list, uh, not the list, but the wins uh, previously, is that he doesn't really campaign. He doesn't really participate in tons of stuff in the poker communi- community other than to go play poker high stakes in Las Vegas, which, you know, arguably you shouldn't have to to win for best broadcaster. But again, there's like a huge community component to this. How well people feel they know you or like you or how dialed into the computer does community factor in to whether or not they're going to vote for you for a particular category. So I'm glad that Ali got this. And again, this is a category where I think that I don't think who the best broadcaster is really changes from year to year, right? Ali is going to be Ali every year. James is going to be James every year. I'm going to be me every year. Jeff's going to be Jeff every year. But I don't think there's a huge reason for someone to win this award six or seven years in a row. I know there's a lot of purists out there like, the best person, it should be the best person wins it every year. It doesn't help for fucking James Hardigan to win this award seven years in a row or for Ali to win it seven years in a row. So I hope that next year we see a different winner in this category. And I would like to see Dave Tuckman recognized finally because he is also a very good broadcaster and has been doing it for a very long time. 
We can talk more about people we want to see win next year Great. when we get okay, into it on next week's podcast. But one thing I will say, again, having witnessed some of the conversation about how the awards need to change and, uh, you know, recognizing this person or breaking down this category into six subsections. <laughs> if I was Eric Danny, I would basically say, fuck the lot of you and shut the whole thing down. Yes, I'm me like, too. A hundred percent. That guy has the patience of a saint. And again, Eric, we salute you. Yeah, to, and uh, Eric, by the way, I hope, I think he listens to the show. I, personal message to you. I hope when you see me having these conversations, I think you're doing a great job. I think it's an impossible agreed. task. And I, I hope that me chiming in doesn't add any stress to you, my friend, because I, I'm just trying to bat away some of the worst ideas and occasionally put my own in there. I honestly, you do you, buddy. I'm, we're so lucky these awards exist at all. Absolutely. And again, my personal message to Eric is when I refer to them as silly awards, it's more the fact that I'm trying to stop the ridiculous debates and arguments to just remind everyone that it's not that important. It doesn't really matter. They're just an attempt to shine a spotlight on different areas of the poker industry. Correct. And let's shine a spotlight on three more categories before we move on. Best streamer went to Burt Stevens. And something we discovered during EPC <laughs> Paris is people have become a little bit too obsessed with this guy. Is he literally paying? Is he? Did he take that money he won and and give it out to his community? People are really into this dude, and I can see why. He's funny, smart, charming, a bit of an I, asshole. I'm, All of I it works. Become, I've become used to people asking to see a certain player on the feature table when they're still in the tournament, but this guy was eliminated at some point on day two and days three, four, five. Even when we're at the final table, people are saying, we want to see Burt Stevens. We can't showcase a player who's not in the fucking tournament we're covering. Yeah, I don't know. I felt like he was paying people. He was like, hey, here's 20 euros. Go hop in the chat and, and just ask him where I'm at. It was, it was very bizarre. So best event went to the World Series of Poker main event. I guess this shouldn't be a surprise considering they broke the record last summer uh, with more than 10,000 unique entries because remember, the WSOP main is still a freeze out. And yeah, it gives me kind of, I get a kick out of the fact that I played this tournament that broke the record. I played this tournament that won this award. I, look, I'm, 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 look, I'm holding this up. I know it's an audio podcast, but like I've got, the little thing here, my little token that, yeah, I, yeah. that they gave us for participating. I'm proud. I'm proud you've been there for that. The thing that sucks is probably going to get broken again this year <laughs> and then the year after that and then the year after that. But we could say we were there. The No, that doesn't work, actually. Um, well, I can reveal at this point, by the way, that because I've got other plans this summer, I'm actually away on vacation in late June, early July. So I will not be playing the World Series main this year. If I was available, I would 100%. But I probably will go to Vegas in June and I will play some other World Series events this year. That's the plan as it stands. More on my plans for the summer later. Do we have more categories to cover? We do. A One couple more. One more person I want to hit. Um, Nadia Magnus, because we obviously reconnected with Nadia in Vegas last year. She joined us as part of the team for the big game on tour. Nadia won the Charitable Initiative Award. Very pleased to see her honored. Um, and hopefully, if we get to do the big game again, uh, we'd love to get to work with Nadia again. But yes, we are going to talk more about the Global Poker Awards on next week's show, because we kind of can't take the spotlight off EPT Paris this week. But crucially... We are finally going to hear from Francine. And we did say that we have a guest on our 300th episode who we've been trying to get on this show since day one. The other person we've been trying to get on this podcast since day one is Francine. So in back-to-back -back episodes, we're going to tick two names off the list, Joe. 
I'm very excited for that. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, having your boss on the show could go really right or really wrong. So wish us luck. You know what that music means? It's time for this week's Superfan Quiz. We welcome Superfan Peter Hartman. Hello, Peter. Hello. What's up, Petey Pete? How we doing? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Ooh, yeah, my name is Peter. I live in Germany and uh, I'm 31 years old and I like to listen to your podcast. <laughs> That's great. What do you do the rest of the time? The rest of the time, I have a little family, and I Cute. work in communications. Communications, as in that can that can cover a lot of things, as in PR, as in you work for the phone yes, company. In PR, in yes, PR. Okay, mm-hmm. are you a and and can you get a little more specific about what you do in PR? You don't have to give your clients away, but just uh, no, what it's and just uh, working as a PR guy for a little governmental thing in in germany cool all right so yeah. you you're you're in i don't want to say that but you're you're on the front lines of pr yes excellent very good on the front lines uh, well here's a hashtag fun fact peter outside of english speaking territories so mm-hmm. as you would imagine most people listening to this podcast are either from the uk the us canada Germany is a top five country for us, so we do have a lot of German listeners, and I like it when we get German superfans, but it's so hard to give you guys real money prizes right now because it's a yeah, bit weird trying to work out the regulations, but hey, we've come up with an enhanced merch pack for you mm-hmm. to play for. Hopefully you are successful in today's quiz, which is about the movie We Are Marshall, and I apologize, I had not even heard of this movie until you suggested it. Peter, did you think this movie was a Western when you picked it? No. When you, when you, okay, no. just one, okay. Well, go ahead, no. please, tell us I'm, all. I'm yeah. really into these kind of sports movies with baseball movies, American football movies, and I actually enjoy watching the NFL uh, and watch it for like 12 years now and i'm a huge fan of the green bay packers and uh there was a time when one tv channel showed each saturday one of these stupid sports (laughs) movies Uh, and i really enjoyed that movie that specific movie because uh i thought it was yeah in the in the drama part of it and the real part of it was really um appealing to me when i was younger there there's some very emotional stuff about this movie so what i'm gonna do peter before we get going here is i'm gonna tell you one fun fact name droppy thing about this movie and then i'm gonna ask you my own trivia question before we get going so the first thing i'll tell you is if you listen to this podcast you know that i've got like six degrees of like minor connections to all kinds mm-hmm. of things that we talk about on this show When I was first coming up in L.A., I started in poker in 2005. This movie was made in 2006. So in 2005, when I started in poker is when I left my roommate that I had been with for a while. And then he started getting other roommates. And one of his roommates was this beautiful, chiseled, in-shape, southern lad named Bobby John Drinkard. And Bobby John uh, was here to be an actor here in L.A. And Bobby John uh, was on Survivor. And then Bobby John booked a movie, and that movie was called We Are Marshall. 
and he is in this movie. Now, the entire time I'm watching the movie, I'm like, I haven't seen Bobby John in like 20 years, right? This movie's made in 2006. Would I recognize him if I saw him? Was that Bobby John? Was that Bobby John? So finally, I IMDB Bobby John in this movie to see which character he plays. And I'll have you know, sick brag here, he plays player number four. So <laughs> you, you should really watch out for Bobby John in this movie as player number four. I did not. I, did, I wasn't able to pick him out. Not much. Not the name drop I thought it was going to be. But I do have a, a bonus question for you. Peter, and again, if you listen to the show before, you will know this. Did I cry in this movie, Peter? Did Stapes cry at We Are Marshall? Of course There is a 90% chance with any movie that the answer to that question is yes. (laughs) Yeah, 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 of course. Of course you did. Yes, I did cry, and I cried in the first 15 minutes. Uh, wow. Me too. The, me too. I watched yeah. it on Wednesday and uh, on, on on Tuesday, and uh, yes, I uh, cried too. And my wife was sitting next to me, mocking me about crying about wow. this stupid Yes, she's heartless <laughs> sometimes. My she goodness. Tends to be. I, and I I did cry multiple times in this movie. I only cried twice, though. The ending was kind of whatever for me. It didn't do much for me. But yeah, yeah, yeah. but the, the when they noticed that the their logos are on the football helmets yeah. for the their yeah. big rivals, that got me too. So I did cry yeah. twice in this movie, uh, well, which is which is above average. It's usually once. Guys, but. Based on this conversation and based on the fact that Star Trek also liked this movie, I'm going to have to seek it out. Like you, Peter, I'm a fan of American football. Um, I think for me, Oliver Stone's Any Given Sunday is probably one of my favorite movies about the sport. Oh, God. It's, um, that movie's a, a mess, but it is very it fun. Is an it is absolute mess, but it's so well written. And the speech that obviously Pacino delivers Game of is like mm-hmm. one of... Yes, one of the <laughs> finest monologues in cinema history. Right, let's get to it. We have 10 questions on the board. We've got Pokestars merch on the line. Peter, you get to go first, so please give me a number between 1 and 10. 7. It is always coming 7 for your first question. Who did the team give the match ball to after their post-crash win? Their first post-crash win. Yeah, first post crash win to the um, director of the university, Don. Don Do you know Deadman. Yes, correct. that is correct. That Don Deadman, the university president. You get the full two points there, and Joe, you are up. Any question other than seven? Who? I would have known that one. All right, I hate when that happens right off the bat. Let's go with question two. Question number two. Who did the young thundering herd get their fo- first post-crash win against? Uh, uh, I want to say it was Clemson, but I'm not positive. I'll take the choices. Okay, was it Moorhead State University, Notre Dame University? No, pains me to say it that way. East Carolina University. Or, and again, I'll say it the American way, Xavier University. It was Xavier. It was for one point. Okay, Peter, round two. You have a 2-1 advantage. Seven deuces off the board. Number 10, please. Number 10. Who directed the film? 
McG or something? M yes, G. Yes, it's Melbourne yes. Cricket Ground. I tried to <laughs> remember that one. It's stupid yeah. to us, Mick also. G. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah. McG is a weird thing, even for us. To, yeah, to know. it's it's it, don't don't worry. It's not a lost in translation thing. It's just a stupid name. Right, yeah. uh, Joe, you're up. Oh, I gotta get. I gotta. I gotta get this without the choices though, because I'm already behind four to one. Uh, give me number three, please. Number three. Who plays the role of Coach William Red Dawson? Matthew Fox. He does, and you get the full two points. All He's right. still one point behind as so we go into the next round. He has round. very strange, like, like bleached, like the worst dye job red hair I've ever seen in this movie. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Sometimes, so, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. No, no. One, four, five, six, eight, and nine are all still available, Peter. Please give me number one. Number one. How many years did head coach Jack Langell spend at Marshall University? I guess it was four years. Four, four years, years after the crash, yes. Correct, and they were all losing seasons. That's seasons. right. Right. And Joe, you're up. Four, five, six, eight, or nine? Uh, four. In what year was the plane crash? The plane crash was in... I gotta go with this without saying anything. 1970. Correct for two points. So you are still only one point behind. Pete, you have the full complement of points so far. Five, six, eight, and nine still available. Please give me number nine. That's Joe's lucky number. Oh, Peter. Team captain Nate Ruffin has an injury to which specific body part throughout the film? Do I have to get the side of the body? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, you that's can do why this. it says specific. You can do this. It's a right shoulder injury. It is a right shoulder injury. You get the full two points. Okay, Joe, five, six, or eight. I've been going good with low, so I'll just keep it low. Five. Okay, the yeah. last question is number five. Head coach Jack Langell gives a motivating speech in front of the graves of some players who couldn't be identified from the crash. How many graves were there? This is the part of the movie that made me be like, nah, I'm, uh, this is, he like drags the entire team out to the graves of them to like give a speech. I'm like, this feels in poor taste, even in the movie. Six. It was six there people. There were six. Correct. So we go into the final round and there is still only a one point difference. So... Here's the thing, Peter. If you can get your final question correct without taking the options, you've sealed the deal. Six and eight are the last two questions on the board. Give me the lower number, please. Oh, okay. my God. This guy's so dirty. Takes my lucky number. Takes my low number strategy. Question number six. How many people were tragically killed in the plane crash? Uh... You can take the options if you wish. Yeah, I which means worst case scenario, it would be a tight game. It would be tight. Uh, I will take the options. Oh! Okay. 75, 81, 87, or 93? 75. Okay, so you have nine points out of 10. Joe, you're currently on seven points. I'm about to give you question eight. You need to get this correct without the options to take this to the tiebreaker. I'll just say this. You did great taking that one, Peter, because I would have got it without it. So at least you blocked me from a sure thing two-pointer. Go ahead with question eight. Marshall University is in which U.S. state? That's West Virginia. Correct. So we do go to the tiebreaker. 
And Peter, you know how it works. It's going to be a numerical answer. So you have to decide whether to go for it or let Joe mm -hmm. set the line. And then you decide whether he's gone too high or too low. So the question is, what was the film's budget? Would you like to answer the question or would you like Joe to answer? Uh, I know the budget. So I take the answer. Go for it. Uh, 65 million US dollars. Correct, you've nailed it. You are to the tiebreaker, <laughs> yeah. dead on. So you win this round of Superfan versus Stapes. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Congratulations on Patrick getting predictable. Good job. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Clearly, you uh, you did. You, you, some folks come into this choosing a specialist subject. They get in here, and I don't know anything about it, and I still am competitive. You clearly knew this movie very well. Congratulations. You deserve your win. I was going to say that the uh, guessing how many times I cried in the movie was going to be a bonus, but I was afraid that would break our terms and conditions or whatever if I gave you extra points and people would bitch at me on Discord. So I'm glad you won it fair and square. Good work. Thank you so much. Peter, it's been an absolute delight to meet you. Thank you for your support. Thanks for volunteering to come on the show. We'll get in touch. We'll get your details. We'll ship you some merch. Thank you so much. Have a good time. All right, my babies, we're just about out of time for this week's show. I'm just about out of cough syrup. <laughs> Coming up next week, it's episode number 299. Can we really have a preview show for another episode of the podcast? Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay, so next week it's our 300th episode preview show. <laughs> It's a very special episode. It's also a live event at the Hippodrome. I think it warrants a bit of a preview, but also, as we've mentioned a few times, we will properly celebrate the success of our friends and colleagues at the Global Poker Awards. Francine, mostly Francine. I'm very excited that Francine finally has to play a stupid game. Have you got her to agree to that? Yeah, I mean, she's a guest on the podcast. She knows how it works. She's going to have to play a stupid game. Okay, okay. Um... Statric informs me that we are running short of superfans. Guys, get your applications in. You heard Peter this week. Uh, he's won some merch. You could potentially win a bronze power pass. All you need to do is head to Discord. There is a link in the podcast description. Find the superfan applications channel. Let us know your specialist subject of choice. Statric will get in touch with you. We will get your details. We'll give you a date. We'll give you a time. You can come on the show and, and have some fun. And yep. I'm going to say it again. If anyone wants to watch the Netflix disaster that is Mia Culpa, I will juice the prize pool. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit of a carrot for you. And if anybody just wants to do, like, a cup every once in a while, like, every month or so, every couple of months, just wants to do, like, general knowledge trivia and not pick yes. a specialist subject, let's do that. Let's hit them all. Let's hit a bunch of subjects all at once. I'm sure Patrick can handle it. All right. Good point. My babies, that is all the time we've got for this week's show. Until next time, for James Hardigan, this is Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Later.